This is, this is Willie Davis. He is a good friend of Stephen Patty Broadway, and uh, he is actually the worship pastor. I don't want to tell you where, but I will because as brothers in Christ, um, we can just celebrate this. And besides, he lives in Tulsa, so it'll be a little harder for you to go there every Sunday. Um, but he is at St. James United Methodist Church, and just a blessing to have him come and show us what he was doing. You know, if I wasn't preaching the word of Jesus, I would have no problem just stopping and letting him play for a much longer time. Um, truly, nothing I would say would have any value, um, and it would be far more enjoyable to hear him. Um, but we've got a great text that we're going to look at that today. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 24. Um, it was literally right here a week ago that he stood right here. Mark Scott, remember that? Um, he is a gentleman that I dearly, dearly, dearly love. Um, it's amazing how much he was describing the traveling out to California. Do you remember this? At the end of his, in his message, he was talking about going out to California. That was the same summer. I won't say who it was because it was Andrea. Andrea, and she hates it. I mean, literally hates it when I describe this. I'm going to say it anyway. That was the summer where she broke up with me. Devastating. Oh, you say, oh, it hurt down deep. Um, but that was that same summer, but God had a plan, and it was amazing. So because, literally because of that breakup, I had to flee the country because uh, Canada was too small for me and her. And so I left, and I ended up going to Ozark Christian College, and I'm just, I mean, Andrew and I were talking about this. I'm just so indebted to God, not to Mark, so indebted that he said no to that church in Huntington Beach. Um, because that totally sent my life in a different trajectory and just so grateful for his ministry. And by far and away, the greatest thing is not, he's a great speaker, but a man who truly loves Jesus. And I loved going into his office and, and talking about that. Um, one of the classes, preaching classes I took from him was on preaching from the Bible. And uh, one, of the, one of the sermons I had to write a, a message on was a difficult chapter in the Bible. And one of the chapters listed, he said last week, Jim's got the difficult part coming back and preaching Matthew 24. That was one of the options. I didn't choose Matthew 24. Now I wish I had. Because I don't think I've ever preached through Matthew 24 as extensively as I'm about to do. Okay, I have no record of it anyway. Um, I, chose for this, I chose 1 Corinthians 7, which some of you are going, so? Um, 1 Corinthians 7 begins like this. Now about virgins. And I went, I'd rather pick that one than Matthew 24 and about whether or not we should remain single or whether or not we should marry. And I thought that's a whole lot easier, marriage is a whole lot easier than trying to figure out Matthew 24. And so here we are unpacking Matthew 24. It's gonna take us a couple of weeks. Um, and, and really what I, I hope that we get from this message today is the central piece of this, this message that Jesus gives to his disciples um, but first I want to address the issue of a difficult chapter in the Bible. I want you to, I know, I know I told you to go to Matthew 24, so you might want to write these down or maybe go to these chapters in the Bible and star them, but I thought I would help you highlight those chapters in the Bible that are just like, wow, that's difficult. These are chapters, if you were to, if you were to probably corner like eight or nine preachers and say, tell me a difficult chapter in the Bible, I would bet that all of these, most likely all of these would appear on their list, Okay. 
The first one that is truly a difficult passage to deal with, and it's more than one chapter, is Daniel chapter 7 through 12. I have a friend of mine who is an, an Old Testament scholar, and I use that word very sparingly, okay? Not everybody's a scholar, but he is truly a scholar. And when I called Dr. Pachauer and I asked him, what do you think about these chapters in Daniel? He said to me, I quote, I don't think those chapters should ever be taught in the local church. And I said, are you kidding me? And he said, no, and I'm saying that more tongue-in-cheek. There's just so much backstory that needs to be given. To just try to do those quickly, it just leads to confusion. And that's what I'm concerned about. So he wasn't saying they're bad. They're complicated chapters, and they are. They're, they're about the coming of God and um, the establishment of his kingdom and when that and how that takes place. Second section of scripture that is really, really complicated is Romans chapters 9 through 11. A couple of years ago when we were teaching through the book of Romans, I don't know if you noticed, but I preached 1 through 8, then 12 through 16, skipped over it. And truly, I, I wasn't trying to be cowardly. Um, I, here's what I intended to do. I intended to do more of like an extended teaching time on it. I think we did something on in our, in our Wednesday night Bible study on it to address it. These are the chapters that describe what happens to Israel in the end times. Notice the common theme. There's a lot of debate about it. It's a, they're complicated chapters. The next one is the one, if you've heard of the man of lawlessness, which some equate to the Antichrist. I, I don't know about that, but this is definitely a complicated chapter. Second Thessalonians chapter two. If you read that chapter and go, oh yeah, that's totally clear to me. Really, we need to talk because you're either crazy or really insightful and I'd love to find out which one you are. Um, that'd be fun. And I'd hope to be able to learn from you. So the last one is Revelation 11. And I, that's, that's kind of mine. I, for whatever reason, I've really wrestled with Revelation 11. That is kind of the outlining of the final temple that is being described there. And its placement in Revelation. I know some of you are going, shouldn't that be 1 through 22? <laughs> Revelation. And then you're going to tell me, isn't that Revelations? Let me tell you, it's not Revelations. It's never Revelations. Meaning, it's not a number of different revelations. It is the revelation of, and then it begins to describe, from God to Jesus, to the angel, we should give to John to give to the saints. It is a revelation. It is a single vision. It is a single purpose document, okay? Chapter 11, to me, just jumps out as complicated. So those four sections, if you were to ask, I think, 10 preachers, three at least of those, I think the first three will probably appear on their radar and go, yeah, these are tough, Okay? The next three that I'm going to give you are all about our text today. So if you want to look at Matthew 24 in another, in another version, and I don't mean a different translation of the Bible, I mean literally a different gospel, you'll find it in Mark 13. And so you could go back and look. I think that's a complicated chapter because it's the same one that we're looking at tonight, today. The second place that you'll actually find it is in Luke, Luke chapter 21, very difficult chapter it's a lot like Mark 13. And then lastly is the one that we're in today, which is Matthew chapter 24. Now, here's the part that I find fascinating, is that I have listed for you, not all, but a good, I would argue a good chunk of those texts, which are truly difficult to understand. Do you know how many chapters are not so difficult to understand? Like the vast, vast, vast majority of them. You know why I tell you this? is because I still believe in my heart that one of the biggest reasons why people do not read the Bible, it's not because they don't love God. It's, it's, it's not because they're stupid. It's, not, it's because they look at this book and it just seems daunting to them. 
it just seems like it's, it's going to be way too difficult for them. Too many pieces to the puzzle. It's literally like a 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle, and you're going, I'm not going to bother. It took me forever to figure out where the corners are, you know? And, 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 and so we, we stand off. And I'm arguing. One of the reasons why I left where Mark actually teaches to come here is because I wanted to be part of a local fellowship that, that teaches the Bible and teaches others to teach the Bible. Um, you know, we've been talking about orange for a long time, but even before I got here, this church was practicing the concept of orange, which is establishing within the church um, a way of doing life and a way of doing ministry where parents are being trained to disciple their kids. And that has to do with knowing how to read the Bible and, and follow the Bible. And so this is not, hear me, it's, 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 it's work. It is. It's work. But it's worth it. And the difficult passages, here's what I love. Um, I'm not afraid to teach Matthew 24. And I'm going to even say, okay, guys, this part of Matthew 24 is really solid. It's really, we can stand on this. Here, pretty solid, meaning my interpretation, not the text itself. The text is totally solid. And then we're going to venture out, and then I'm going to say, now this part here, I think we could go in a couple of different directions. Because of that, I don't know exactly where we're going to land. And I'm going to be honest about that. And it's good for us to be honest about that, because the, if we in the church are hesitant to go into the Bible because it's so big and it's so complicated, man, the world thinks it's really complicated. And when you pretend it's not, or when you decide to misuse it, it just feeds the, the fury, it adds to the confusion. And that's why I like to be able to be honest about where the Bible is unclear and where the Bible is clear. The, the Bible is not like, I wonder who made the world. Yeah, the Bible's really unclear about that. No, God made it. Well, what's the problem with the world? You know, the Bible gives lots of different reasons. No, it really doesn't. It gives one, sin, rebellion against God. Pretty clear about that. Yeah, but what's the solution? There's so many different, no, there's not. Bible makes it very clear. By the way, God is the solution to our problem. I love that. That's why when, when, when we, the New Testament opens, ta-da, God in flesh. God appears. That's not by accident. God is the solution to our sin problem, and the Bible is very clear about that. So really, but in terms of the death, burial, and resurrection, the Bible is clear. And Jesus Christ left clear. The mission of the church to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ until he comes again Clear. Now, living, it's hard. Living, it's difficult. He's going to come back someday. Clear. Bible's not wondering if he's going to come back. No, he's going to come back. And everyone will give an answer for kind of an account of their lives. And I just want my account to be Jesus. That's what we're going to be preaching here today. So here's a difficult text, but we're going straight at it. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. Look at the text. Jesus left the temple and was going away. That's, that's a lot. That's a bit of a redundancy. Why? Because this is the last time. Here, I'm, I'm being very careful how I say this. This is the last time the temple will see him. He'll see the temple again, coming in judgment. This is the last time the temple will ever see him. Jesus, it's in the last week of his life, and it's It's done. And Jesus left the temple, and he was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, it's not just the temple itself, but there was Solomon's colonnade, there was a number of other structures that were on top of this amazing precipice. But he answered them, 
Because we can be impressed by amazing things. Brady, remember being in Japan and going, wow, look at this. We were so impressed by the architecture that these, uh, that these brilliant people were able to pull together. And the, the disciples are amazed. Look at, look at this. This is amazing, is it not? Jesus answered them, verse 2, you see all of these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This is all coming down. You're impressed with this? This is all coming down. Now, literally, this week and then in the, in the, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be dealing with the difficulties of this particular chapter, but I want you to see where all of this is taking place. Mark's not the only one that has slides of Israel. You know what I'm saying? So here's the slide that we have from our first trip to Israel. That is known as the Eastern Gate. So this is the eastern side, and that's not, a, that's not a wall that has like an empty area behind it. It's actually an embankment. So they basically took what is known as Mount Zion, this big mountain. They cut off the top, and they filled it, and they created like this flat platform for the temple and its buildings to sit. Okay? So behind that wall, there's a stairway. Um, the Muslims, kind of around the times of the Crusades, a little after the Crusades, um, because there was a, a, a kind of a legend that the Messiah would come back into the city through the eastern gate, they, uh, they, they bricked it up. That ought to keep them out. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I think that's even a misunderstanding of what's going to happen. But it's funny that they bricked it up. But, so that is, the, that is the gate that Jesus and the disciples would have come out of. And then as you can even see here, they would have walked down that hill. And I'll tell you, the one thing about Israel that's amazing is you spend a lot of time doing this. Up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. That is kind of the look alongside the eastern wall. That is known as the Kidron Valley. Jesus comes out of the gate, and as they're walking down and then walking back up, this is kind of what they see, and they look back, and they see probably even still on the top of that, they would still see the temple, and they're impressed. I mean, I'm impressed. They're, and it's still there, um, or it's still there for them, and they're impressed. And Jesus goes, yeah, like all of this is coming down. All of this is coming down. And that's what sparks this conversation. And Jesus says, these stones that you actually see, which are huge, are actually going to be thrown down. Okay, how, I mean, we don't understand how they got up there. How are they going to throw them down? It looks like this to show you the sizes of some of these stones. They're huge. I'm kind of glad they never cleaned them up. Because to stand there and to see that it's like um, the two times I've been to Israel, it's like it's Matthew, it's 24, it's, it's Mark 13, it's Luke 21. Um, the divots that those stones made in the walkway are, are crazy. Two, two feet deep, three feet deep into solid stone uh, bedrock floor. And they just, they just smashed into it. And those stones still sit there. I, I, I believe as a constant reminder I don't, don't know if it'll be constant, constant. If they disappeared, my faith doesn't disappear, by the way. Um, but as a constant reminder, hey, what Jesus says about judgment happens. Whether you get it or not, whether you like it or not, the judgment of God, the judgment of Jesus is one of those things that's always plaguing us. It just seems to happen whenever God wants or plans. And so those stones that are actually still there, and after they, Jesus has made that proclamation, they climb up onto the other side, and this is a view across the Kidron Valley. So now they're up on the other side, and the rest of this discourse and the rest of 24 and 25 are told right from here as they look out onto the Temple Mount. 
And right where the Dome of the Rock is, is where the temple once stood. And Jesus is describing the end. Now, now here's where it gets a little complicated. The end for who? Well, I'll tell you, um, I can understand why the disciples cannot discern an end to Jerusalem and an end to the temple that doesn't also signal an end of the world. Right? Now, to us, that sounds silly. What do you mean? Okay, we can live without Jerusalem. Can you imagine like an end to America without it being an end of the world? I'll be be honest, I can't. To me, an end of America is, is kind of like synonymous with an end of the world. It just, it seems like that when America is finally destroyed and finally defeated or whatever happens to it, it's kind of like that's when Jesus comes back, right? Wouldn't you say that's kind of true? It's interestingly, like a lot of the books that we read about the end of times kind of makes those synonymous. So the disciples aren't crazy for thinking this. It actually makes a lot of sense. The end of what seems so foundational to us sounds like, seems like the end of the world itself. Look back at our text, verse three. You can hold on to this, hold on to this view here because verse three begins like this and then you can switch it over. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, this is where he would have been. By the way, just down over, uh, a little bit, little bit north and kind of in that area, kind of to this side where those, where those uh, trees are, that would be the Garden of Gethsemane. And by the way, while I'm on it, we're leaving to go back there in 2018. Love to have you. It's an incredible experience. But so just down the hill in just a matter of days, he's going to be in the garden. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be captured. All the events stir up. But literally right now he is describing and they're looking at everything and it looks so permanent. And the clock is ticking. Verse three, he sat down on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus is describing this is what is coming your way. Remember, the year, put this in your mind, the year that we're dealing with right now is 29 AD. That's roughly the year when Jesus dies. So in in our calendar year, it would be early, the early part, right before Easter, right? The early part. Um, of the of the year, maybe like right around March or April, um, the year is 29 A.D. And then Jesus continues, verse nine. Doesn't end there. He continues, and then they will deliver you up. See, it's one thing to talk about wars and rumors of wars and famines and difficulties, and then it get this. Notice the switch in verse nine. It gets very personal to them, to the disciples. Okay, put this in its first context first. They will deliver you up to tribulation. And instead of that being this fancy theological word that that we have a post-trib, mid-trib, after-trib, tribal-trib, whatever it is, that is not, the the word means like great difficulty upon you. We've added like this theological uh, circus to the word. 
Okay, it's not the only time the word appears here. There are many times in which even the word appears and it's usually not translated tribulation. Okay, that, even that word just kind of brings with it kind of this end times idea. But actually the word appears many, many times and we just kind of translate it difficult times or hardships. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. Jesus could have literally went, now you, Judas, you're not gonna make it very long. I mean, literally, you're just, just days away and they're gonna, you're gonna take your own life. And he looks over at James and says, you have a little longer, but Herod, yeah, the one that's in power right now, he's gonna betray you and Peter over and they're gonna kill you, James. And you're going to be the first one to go. And then an angel is going to come from the Lord and Peter is going to be set free. He could literally walk through and describe, Matthew, you're going to go to India and you're going to be killed there. Walk through all the different disciples and all the difficulties that they're going to have and obviously get down to the very end to John. Okay, what's going to happen to me? You're going to see all of this take place. And I'm going to give you an incredible revelation and you will be in exile during it and you'll just die an old man waiting for me. And John's going to wonder, I don't know if that's best for me. But if it's the Lord's will, James's brother taken early, John kept to the end, but Jesus is speaking to them and to the followers who will follow them. They will put you to death. You will be hated by all nations. You won't be able to escape this. Like, sure, it's going to be hard in Jerusalem, right? The city that I just showed you. Yeah, this is going to be difficult here in the years to come. But here's the thing. You can't run from this because wherever you're going to go, wherever you proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ, they're going to find reasons to hate you. You're going to describe him in such a way that he's just going to sound like exclusivistic. He's going to sound like, like something is broken. This is, not, this is not an accepting message. And there will be an unnatural rise of hatred wherever you go. I don't know if you find comfort in this or not. I find both comfort and, and difficulty with this statement, tribulation with this statement, that wherever I go, and if I truly preach Jesus, I will make both friends and enemies. Like wherever I go, and whenever I go. Verse 10, and then many will fall away. I know there's lots of people that go, oh, but they, you really can't fall away. And by the way, don't have the time in the context to really deal with it. I just, um, and then many will fall away. Always, always amaze me when preachers look at statements like that and many will fall away and they end it with, but don't worry, no, no one will fall away. Is there another way to interpret that? And hear me, it does get complicated. I just have no idea how to take a verse like that and make it mean the exact opposite than what it says. This is why Paul says, Mark ended his sermon with this last week, therefore examine yourself so that you might know that you are in the faith. John, I write these things to you so that you might know of the certainty that you have and the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, listen, it's gonna be a mess in, in, in these next years that you are going to see and many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise, they will call themselves messiahs and will lead many astray. 
And because of lawlessness, literally a complete disregard for law, which when you look at how the city of Jerusalem ends up, it is a mess. Um, mothers eating their own children because of the occupation that the Romans have around the city where there is literally no food for years. And the atrocities that happen inside the walls of Jerusalem are horrific if you read the accounts from Josephus, the historian. Horrific. And because of lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. I find that interesting. The love of many will grow cold. This is what happens when hardship upon hardship upon hardship upon hardship happen. Like I can take a couple of bad things happening, but bad thing and then bad thing and then bad thing and then bad thing. Before I give up, even before hope goes, before despair comes in, before disappointment, anger, frustration, hatred. That's what happens. That's what happens when difficulties arise. And Jesus is saying, guard your heart. When all of these things happen, know that I've told you they are coming. When, when you see people leaving, when you see people going astray, don't follow them. Hear my voice. Continue to lean on my spirit. Remember my teaching. And then you'll never be led astray. The love of many will grow cold, but the one, and this, I love verse 13 and 14. It doesn't just end in bad, bad, and then worse, and then really bad. No, verse 13, it comes back up. But the one who endures to the end will be saved will be rescued, will be delivered, all the same words. Don't think just heaven. Be rescued, be delivered, be, be saved, be made whole again. Who? The one that goes all the way through all of the difficulties that you see and comes out on the other side trusting in me, not abandoning their allegiance to me. They will be rescued. I know you won't believe it. You just think that it's, it's just despair, but I'm telling you, I will be there with you through it all. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. I love that promise. The gospel will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So I've just decided to deal with the first 14 verses today. Truth is, next week's the hard part. This text actually is a little clearer than you would think. What question is Jesus dealing with? Or maybe better yet, what questions is Jesus dealing with? This is what I want to teach through this morning. It appears that the disciples are actually asking two questions. Look at verse 3. Tell us, they ask him, when will these things be? What things? The destruction of the, of the temple and the, the, the embankment. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, the problem that the disciples have, or the problem that all of us have, we're stuck in time. Like, all we know how to go through time is day by day by day by day. We only have one direction to look. We've got, we've got the past behind us, we've got the present in, in right, right around us, and we've got the, the future in front of us. And so when you look at the future, and Jesus is describing the future, it can look like this. Two disciples hearing the words of Jesus Christ, and it can look like this. Like this. Is it frozen? There we go, there we go, there we go. Okay, good. So here are the disciples standing in front of a mountain and they're saying, Jesus, describe for us this thing that we see, the coming judgment of God and the destruction of the temple. 
Show us what, it, what that is. And Jesus is going to be describing that huge mountain in front of them. But if you notice the question, when will these things be, the destruction of the temple? And then because they don't know any other way to ask the question, they ask, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Because to, to them, same thing, right? They see it as just one. So Jesus is going to describe two mountains to them. And they're standing looking ahead and they see mountain one, the destruction of Jerusalem. And then they see mountain two, the end of all time, the coming of Jesus Christ and it being finally done. And to them, as they're looking at it, it's kind of like driving across Kansas into Colorado and all of a sudden the mountains appear. How many of you, you see the mountains, you're like, wow, there's the mountain range. And then when you get into the mountains, you're like, oh, wow, that's a little different than I thought it was going to be. Like now I got mountains there and I got mountains there. And I thought they were kind of like all like this, like two-dimensional mountains, but they're not, are they? When you, by the time you get to the mountains, you realize that, that they don't look like that. They look very, very different. And what you thought might be a big mountain is a little smaller. What you thought might be a little smaller actually is a lot bigger. It was just this depth issue. That's what happens to all of us. What Jesus is doing is he's going to answer their questions. The problem is, is that they don't know fully what they're asking, which is okay. I love this, even this quick reminder. It's okay for you to not, to not know the fullness of what you're asking God. He knows. And so what I think we're beginning to see with history, the disciples could not see because they just had this mountain in front of them. Let's take a look at it instead of head on. Let's take a look at it from the side. Same two disciples are looking towards Jerusalem and they see mountain number one in 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem, just a few years away, not that many decades away. And Jerusalem is going to be leveled and everything that Jesus is gonna promise is true. But they ask two questions. When's going to be the end of the temple and when's going to be your second coming? And Jesus is describing the two mountains that look like they're on the same backdrop, but it looks like this. Now, what I thought to do for fun was actually put like tomorrow's date on the top of that one so that we would, you know, take Jesus more seriously. But we don't know when it is. So the gap between those two, I know this picture doesn't do it justice, but the gap between those two so far, if we're still calculating it, is 2,000 years. 2,000 years. And what we have, but the disciples do not have, is like a look back at the destruction of Jerusalem. We stand, if you were to ask where we stand, and I don't have a slide for this, we stand in between them. Like you and I can look back at the mountain that has been destroyed, the story about Jerusalem, and that's part of Matthew 24. And we can also look forward to the day, but I'm telling you, we're still looking at a mountain. And you know, some people think it's really, really close. And I remember going, oh good, there are the mountains. We're going to be in Denver in like another 20 hours, it seems like. Right? And this is what Jesus is explaining to his disciples so that they can know what to do. Now here is the disciples' problem and many of ours as well. We love looking for signs, do we not? We love looking for signs. We really think the answer to our problems is just knowing the signs. The disciples ask it, hey, what are the signs? Tell us the signs. Because we actually believe that if we knew the signs, then we would take it seriously. What's interesting is like, I know a lot of signs to, to keep me healthy. Like I know the sign, one of the signs of an unhealthy person is, um, is some extra weight around the, the here area. I know that sign. 
I know that like eating certain foods, I know that exercising is a really important thing and that not exercising can be a sign to not be, I know all of those things doesn't phase me because I'm the exception. I don't know if you know this, I'm the exception. Those things are true for you, not me. I know the signs. Um, sometimes when I was a professor, the student, I gave them signs. It was called a syllabus. And these are the signs of what is about to happen. And I got this all the time. Oh, was that due today? And I, I had the same answer all the time. I don't know if you remember the first day of class, but I gave you a list of all the signs. Oh, yeah, I, am, I lost myself. I mean, every one of us think. So these are the signs of your marriage going south. How many of you know the signs? And you're not doing anything about it. So don't, don't pretend that the signs are the answer. I think one of the big reasons why, and I love this text actually, why I'm not a big fan of ever chasing the signs. You got a book that tells me you know when Jesus Christ is gonna come back. I may read it just to joke around on it, just to laugh. But I'm not chasing that rabbit because Jesus says that rabbit doesn't exist. Mark chapter 13, verse 32, it's got a similar verse in Matthew we'll look at next week. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows. And then he says, not the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the, only the Father. So if Jesus himself doesn't know and the angels don't know, then why are you and I trying to figure it out? It doesn't make any sense at all. Why are we chasing that? Because we actually believe that if we knew the signs, then we would be prepared. <laughs> if that's not enough, if Jesus Christ coming and dying in the flesh is not enough for you, do you really think knowing the signs is going to motivate you? If Jesus Christ bearing your sin and mine on the cross so that we can have peace with God, if that's not enough for you, do you really believe that somehow knowing about the stars and the moons and how they're going to line up and about nations and... No. I might even challenge some of your thinking. Take a look at verses 3 through 8. Just look at that section here. He is describing a number of things, wars, rumors of wars, famines, and earthquakes. Some people go, yeah, that's going to be the end of the time. I know, how many of you have actually Googled earthquakes in Oklahoma, second coming, I think I'm going to die because I live in Pawnee, right? <laughs> You've Googled that. You've Googled that. I promise you, right now there's more, oh yeah, I mean, it talks about earthquakes in the book of Revelations. Yeah, okay, you're... <laughs> um, What's interesting is, is that what does Jesus say about all these things? I, I've heard so many people describe them as the signs. What does Jesus say? Like these aren't the signs. These, these things are just bound to happen. I, don't, I think he's saying these are the things, this is called life, people. Wars and rumors of wars, what does he say? These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. They're not the birth. I mean, that's why when some people look at them and they go, yeah, look, they're happening now. But then others go, well, no, but they've happening like this all the time. Well, that's why you don't think you can trust the Bible. But Jesus points it out. These are not, this is not the birth. These are just the birth pains. But the truth is this is gonna happen because this is the way life always happens. These, I believe strongly, Jesus is saying, these are not the signs. This is just life. And in the difficulties that you are about to see with famines and rumors of wars, don't go chasing after signs. He knows how much we want to know the signs so that we can delay making a decision. 
Like, God, doctor, I need the signs, like, give me the sign, like, a week before the heart attack. Uh, you're not going to change then either. No, I really think I will. No, you won't. I'm beginning to admit, yeah, I won't. I'm not going to do that. And so Jesus doesn't say, listen, like these, I'll give you some signs, and when you come back next week, you'll see some of these signs. But what's, what's interesting is, is that you've got that section three through eight where it just describes the normal difficult things that are actually happening. But instead of looking for signs, Jesus is actually describing what it means to live through the signs. All of this difficulty, look at that next section again, 9 through 14. They're going to deliver you up. They're going to put you to death. You're going to be hated by all. Many are going to fall away, like even Gunger. I don't know if he's fallen away, but you guys follow that guy's Twitter? Last week, he was, he was appealing for Christian artists. I usually don't mention names, but um, because there are some of us that are impressed by him, like me. That when a guy puts out on Twitter, a worship leader, I'm just tired of hearing songs about a father murdering his son. And I just think that is ridiculous. It gets, creates a firestorm. And other people are saying, well, you don't understand. And he just said, man, I just, I'm sick of that blood stuff. I'm sick of that. Yeah, keep being relevant, buddy. He thinks he's being relevant. And what's amazing is all these other Christian people, I'm right behind you, right behind you, Gunger, right behind you. Preach it, brother. To do away with the death of Jesus Christ and try to find another, he just said, listen, I'm telling you, you're more beautiful than that, you're more special than that. Don't tell anybody that God had to die for you. And there's a bunch of us going, I like that version. How do we live through, and particularly the disciples, living through all of these difficulties and all of these hardships? And Jesus Christ is making it clear to them, yes, you will make it through. I love verse 13. But those who endure to the end, there will always be a remnant. Before you get all kind of just twisted out of shape about the many will fall away, although it appears at least twice in this text. Look at verse 13. But there will be those who will endure. God's not going to abandon his faithful people because he is more faithful than them. And I love verse 14 even more. What does he say in verse 14? And the gospel will be preached to the very ends of the world and then the end will come. Now what is Paul saying? Paul says, listen, in, my, in light of all of this difficulties, in light of all of this hardship, and by the way, in Jerusalem, they have the most difficult and the most hard things in front of them. And if they can make it, one of the reasons why this text still matters to me is because if they can make it, then so can we. If they can endure everything that they can endure, then so can we. If the same spirit can maintain their faith and give them strength and give them courage, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, which also is a text that comes in the midst of a conversation about waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were already doing. What do we do to make it through the difficult times, to make it through the hardships, when people are hating us and saying false things about us and Gunger decided to pitch it and Rob Bell wrote a book on why hell doesn't exist? What do we do? 
We preach the truth to one another. We encourage one another. We call one another to be faithful. We speak about the gospel and the power of the gospel. We tell the stories of the transformation that is happening in our own lives. We beg and plead with a dying world that is on its way to hell to turn around and find the hope and peace that can only come in Jesus Christ. That's what we do. So easy for us to get just completely lost and completely scared by all of the busyness around us, by all the famines and the earthquakes and the wars and the rumors of wars and kingdoms and rising up against kingdoms. What does verse 14 say? The gospel is going to the end of the world and then the end will come. Now, weirdly enough, there's some people within the missions fields of the world that I, I think misunderstand this verse. Um, it's a very interesting word. If you read verse 14, it sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? And the gospel will go to the ends of the world, and then the end will come. Now, now here, I'm going to give you a quick, you know, this is, this is free. Uh, let me give you a quick lesson on, on Greek words. There's three words for the word world or earth. There's cosmos. There's a word in, in Greek called gay. And then there's another one, oikumene. Oikumene is a, a very unique and a very distinct word that is almost should be actually interpreted the, the Roman world or the inhabited world or the civilized world. And Matthew uses the other two words for world a number of times in his gospel, and he uses oikumene once, meaning the Roman inhabited world. Guess where he uses it? Right here. See, the missionaries that love to say, hey, we gotta get to the end of the world and then Jesus Christ will come, and they use this verse. Just need to just learn Greek. <laughs> Because the gospel has already gone to the entire oikumene. Let me give you a couple of great verses. I love this promise. The gospel is going to go to the farthest parts of the world. The gospel is going to advance. That's what Jesus wants these disciples to know. Don't get trapped in signs. As you're living through, remember your mission. Romans 10, 18. The, war, the word here for world is going to be oikumene. But I ask, and have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world, to the end of the oikumene. That's what Paul says in Romans 10. The gospel is already gone all through the Roman Empire. Acts chapter 17, verses six and seven. I love this. Here's the accusation against the apostle Paul. I hope it's the accusation made against us. These men, speaking about Paul, have turned the world, the Roman, the oikumene, have turned the world upside down, and they've come here also. As Jason has received them, and they are all acting against decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the entire oikumene has already heard. Hmm. If you're waiting the gospel to go to all the world before Jesus Christ comes back, news alert, he can come back any time. He really can. The Bible's actually been teaching that. But I love this, that the gospel is going out. So I'm gonna ask you this question. Are you looking for signs or do you not care about signs? Are you just trying to make it through or are you connected to the mission that God is a part of? Because the mission will not fail. The mission will not be derailed. It's going and it has been going and it will continue to go until the very end. That's what we're here to talk about. That's what we're here to preach through. We're not here to just kind of hold on and barely make it. We're here to just go right to the very end, declaring the good news of who Jesus Christ is. Amen? That's what we're here for. A number of years ago, we built a community center in Mexico, and right after we built it, literally right after we built it, hardships came, and every church in America that had been associated with that ministry in Piedras Negras quit going because it became too dangerous. 
But we met as an eldership and as a staff, and we asked the question, what are we going to do? And we asked tough questions, and we, we really prayed through it. Do we need to go? Listen, I mean, there's already churches there. Do we really need to go? And it just came back. Yes, yes, we need to go. 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 Not for our own sake, not for our own namesake, but just because we felt the Holy Spirit was telling us, do not abandon these people. And so we kept on going. It's, it's better now, and the churches in other parts of America are coming back, and, and we're excited about that. I just remember sitting around a campfire and talking with a number of people from that area, and I wouldn't even have my son Sergio if we had given up on this. The implications are very far-reaching. I had no idea that when um, we were deciding that, that it would have such an impact on my own family. I asked this woman, um, so what is it that we can do for you? And she just said with tears in her eyes, just do not forget us. And I just said, how can we? Because we serve the same Savior. And there's going to be difficulties and hardships. They're just going to keep on coming. But until he comes, and therefore the end comes, we will not be derailed from our mission. That's who we are. Because we serve a Savior that went through some incredible hardships on his way to the cross to die for you and me. Did he not? And so how can we do any less? And only by his strength and by his power, we can't do even any more. Let's pray. So God, I thank you for the kindness that we have been given in Jesus. And Father, may we celebrate that today. May we recognize what you have given to us and may we shed away from us all of the concerns that we have. And may we find peace and comfort and strength in your mission. And then God, as just the normalcies of life come, may we respond appropriately. But Father, may we see you first and foremost. God, it's not even just about Mexico. There's many of us in this room right now that are scared to go uh, to work tomorrow and be honest about their allegiances to Jesus. In their homes this afternoon, taking shortcuts and sharing their truth about what they believe about Jesus, compromising relationships So God, this text speaks to us more than we know. Free us from looking for signs. Teach us to endure faithfully. For you are more faithful than us. It's in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. If you wanna continue this faith conversation, we would love to continue it with you. God bless and we will see you Wednesday night.